0: You can go ahead and open your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. If you're taking notes there, you can see a place to do that on the back of the bulletin. If we go ahead and follow as I read, beginning in verse 46 of Mark chapter 10. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and a large crowd... Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus stopped and said, call him. And so they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him, What do you want me to do for you? Rabbi, the blind man said to him, I want to see. Jesus said to him, Go. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus. What the Gospel of Mark has presented to us thus far. And specifically in chapters 8, 9, 10, right, is this, the disciples, his followers, what we've seen in these, in these chapters is the disciples' lack of faith. Um, that's interesting, isn't it? We've seen that they are administratively clumsy. We've seen that they can't accomplish the ministry that he's given to them. This is the disciples. These are the inside guys, Right? Uh, We see that they tend to be self-focused. And we see again and again in these few chapters that Jesus is correcting and warning and rebuking them. And so we're introduced to disciples, followers of Jesus, the insiders, right? Those closest to him who struggle to understand. They struggle to see. Interestingly, Mark closes this section here, chapter 10. He closes this section before taking us to the cross, and he closes it with one final miracle that we just read about. Showing the blind disciples that Jesus gives sight. Of course we know the disciples will not forever remain in darkness as the suffering, uh, death, resurrection of Jesus unfolds before them. This gospel will give them uh, courage and vision. Now, uh, just to help us understand where we're at in The passage here, in the story of Christ, as he makes his way to Jerusalem, Jesus had predicted his death uh, for the third time, and after that prediction, we see there in verse 45, just look above our section today, there in verse 45, we see him telling his disciples that he did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So at this point in the journey, we understand that Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, not to take Jerusalem by force and set up an earthly kingdom, right? And claim victory over the tyranny of the Romans and the errant Jewish leadership. We understand that's not what's happening, right? Right? How do we know that? Well, because we have our Bibles and we read very clearly that Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to suffer. And he's going to die. And what we learn, and so it's, just, it's, it's helpful, I think, as we, we, we have to get this in front of us as we understand this healing of the blind man, all right? Like, let's try to put ourselves in Jesus' shoes, Okay? He's going to Jerusalem to die. We talked about that. And the death is, it's going to be terrible, right? And he knows that. We've talked about that, right? It's going to be excruciating death. And so here he is with a group of people that don't quite connect that. They don't get what's happening. Jesus gets what's happening. He just predicted his death, right? They're, from their perspective, they're going to celebrate the Passover, so they're excited, but they are being led, as we've stated before, by the Lamb, Jesus, that is going to be slaughtered soon on their behalf. And it's amazing when you just really start to unpack that and think about that and meditate on what's going on right here. It's, it's amazing. Yes, it's also confounding, right? To think of the suffering that is in front of Jesus, as we spoke about it last week, the cup, the baptism. Right, Being immersed, he's about to be immersed in the wrath of God for our sins. Right, The just punishment and suffering for sins, for our sins, is going to be laid on Christ. He knows this. And his disciples, those closest to him, aren't making the connections. They are not seeing. So I'm praying this morning that you will be encouraged, that we will be encouraged and transformed by Jesus this morning. As we come to see, as we come to see, maybe for the first time, or even reminded for the 31st time, that Jesus, who should have been served, right, came instead to serve. His suffering that lay right in front of him did not cause him to lose sight of his, fish, of his mission, not even for a moment, right? In fact, what we say is that, that suffering and serving was his mission. Right? He is the suffering servant, Christ. And, and that is what Mark has been putting in front of us throughout the whole entire gospel, actually. And so when this blind beggar cried out, Jesus heard. Jesus heard. That's significant. And he responded. The sufferings of the cross are upon him. We said last week, it, it, it was consuming him. And yet... It doesn't stop him from hearing and healing. What is it that draws Jesus to Bartimaeus, the blind beggar sitting on the road? I think it's given to us in verse 46. Look there. And it's from here that we'll take our first point. It says, They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and a large crowd... Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. So we're taking our first point by inference. Bartimaeus had a deep awareness of his infirmity. Bartimaeus had a deep awareness of his infirmity. His physical infirmities were clear to him. Both his blindness and his poverty. Right? It was clear to him. Uh, Growing up poor... Right I think I grew up poor. I know some of you believe you grew up poor, right? Uh, and I just say it like that because it's kind of relative, right? I think of my mom, for example, when I think of the fact that I can talk about how I grew up poor, and then I hear her stories, I'm like, she grew up way poorer than, than I grew up. Uh, they lived in a house with a dirt floor. Their bathroom was an outhouse with seven brothers and sisters, right? thinking when I went to seminary, my plan was to live in a van. and So I had this big white utility van. That's not sketchy. <laughs> right? With a desk inside it and twin mattress. Right? And now I chose this poverty, I guess you could say, because I wanted to go to seminary, and this was the way I could afford it. And People thought, this, people thought I was crazy. Uh, Bartimaeus did not choose his infirmity. His blindness came upon him involuntarily, and, and I would say that his, his, uh, his poverty is a result of that blindness. He knew he was blind. Nobody had to tell him, right? Hey, Bartimaeus, I think you're blind, and I think you're poor. No, nobody had to tell him that. He was aware, Right? His awareness, in fact, sent him. To, how do you know this? Well, his awareness sent him to the street to beg. Right? We can infer these things. It's obvious. It states some of it. Physical infirmities. so we just pull away from that and draw a quick conclusion here that physical infirmities, and this is hard for us. I think we've been saying it, but, but it's hard for us to say it. And that is that physical infirmities are a blessing. It can be a blessing. Right? Because they give us greater and increasing opportunities to see how dependent we actually are. Right? Blind Bartimaeus was in this place where he had a deep and consuming, I would say, awareness of the state that he was in. Okay? He, he woke up every day to his poverty. He woke up every day to his blindness. It clinged to him. Right? It was like an outfit that he couldn't change out of, right? He could not escape. But instead of it embittering him, his infirmity, what we see, it humbled him. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about this blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Bartimaeus was that kind of individual. He was poor in spirit. He saw poverty. Yes, he was poor physically, but he he was poor in spirit. He saw his spiritual need. Bartimaeus' blindness and poverty taught his heart humility. It's interesting, isn't it, sometimes in, in our infirmities, our physical challenges in this life. Right? I, I, I believe, when I, and certainly the Scripture, teaches us that they're brought there in order to teach us humility, to make us more Christ-like. Right? But sometimes... We don't, like Bartimaeus, allow these physical trials, these struggles, to teach our heart humility. Instead, we become embittered. Right? A deep awareness of infirmity can make us bitter or humble. And I wonder this morning... I have to ask myself this question regularly. We should put this before us all the time. How, how am I? How are you allowing your struggle, your suffering, your infirmity that you face, physical? How are you allowing them to direct your heart? I was thinking of it even in terms of you know, pasture your heart. Some of these trials and struggles that we go through, God brings them as a way to pasture our heart, right? And sometimes we harden up and we don't allow ourselves to be to be softened. Bartimaeus, for Bartimaeus, these this infirmity in his life, it was it was a primer, if you will. I believe it was blindness that made him more aware of his need for God. Right? He knew as you and I do, looking and reading the story, that there was no doctor or lotion or potion that could give him sight. Only God. Only God. We sang about this. I think sometimes in our struggle, pain, suffering, we are tempted to turn against the only one that can bring wholeness in the midst. Right? Right? And can even bring us out of it altogether. that we are tempted to not make it through. We're tempted to turn against. We want to say this morning, let our frailty humble us, dear God. Right? May that be our prayer. Let our frailty humble us before our matchless king. Right? See, whether you are blind or have 20-20, I pray... That our frailty will be clear to us this morning. Health, wellness. And we have been told by Jesus already that money. Right? You know this pole, All of it can cause a spiritual blindness to set in. Regardless of our state this morning, I pray, we see our frailty. Whether we are wealthy or well. May our spiritual infirmity and, and need. Be as clear clear to us as much as Bartimaeus' physical infirmities were clear to him. A deep awareness, God. I think this is something we actually have to pray for, Christian. Lord, help me be aware of my need, deep need for you. During the week, if I'm calling out and praying that, then when I come and sing a song about all I need is Christ, all I have is Christ, my hope is in Christ. Right? Like, man, I'm shouting that. Right? But I have to allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to bring my heart into that place. We see it in verse 47... What our cry looks like as this prayer is answered, it says there, when he heard, that is the blind beggar Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You think about it, if we are not aware of our infirmity, right? So, so we're asking God, make us aware of our infirmity, right? Make us aware of our, even our spiritual infirmity, our, our deep need. We have physical. We're bringing to the, to the table some uh, various and difficult struggles, right, physically and the physical. Those will come and go into our lives, and some of them stay with us all our lives, right? But there is one infirmity, that is, that is our sin, Right, that is the thing that that causes decay within our soul, that keeps us from the God that made us, and brings destruction into our lives and into our relationships. We know this infirmity very well, don't we? Right, and and and, and we've got to become aware of our infirmity. Right, and once that is before us, when that is before us, we will call out. If we are not aware of our infirmity, we will not call out for the chief physician, will we? Like Bartimaeus did. He called out for the chief physician very clearly. He states his name. He knows his name. We'll say it again. He knows his name, and he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It occurred to me as I read those words that Bartimaeus knew and had read about King David. Right? By his confession... Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He knew about who King David was. Right? This, is, uh, this confession that Bartimaeus gives is the only one like it in, Mar- in Mark. Right? And, and blind Bartimaeus knew that the greater, a greater son of David would take the throne and reign forever. And soon here in Mark, the Jews will condemn him to death. Because they are blind to his true identity. But the blind man sees clearly that Jesus is the long-anticipated Messiah. The one that will answer him when he calls. And so what does he do? He calls. Right? He calls. Right? The seeing men, the seeing men, so often in Mark, can't see. Incarnate deity standing right in front of them. But the blind man sees and calls. Like Psalm 4, 1. And Jesus answers him. His prayer is heard. He is vindicated and set free from his affliction. In Psalm of David, 4, 1, I encourage you to turn to that and, and make that your prayer and call out to God. It also occurred to me that knowing uh, about King David, Bartimaeus likely knew, and you may know it too, but that story of Mephibosheth. You know that story of Mephibosheth? It begins in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. And King David is seen, I think, acting a lot like Christ. And he inquires of those who serve him, Hey, is there anyone in my kingdom who is left living from the family of Saul. And Saul was his enemy, right? And they respond, they find out, yes, there is someone left living. So King David finds out there is someone left living, and they told him it's Jonathan's Jonathan's son who's crippled. And what David does, instead of killing him, which would have been a practice in some situations, instead of killing him, David, King David, showed him kindness. He took care of Mephibosheth, fed him. And from that day forward, Mephibosheth always ate at the king's table, the scripture tells us, and he was treated as one of the king's sons. And I'm just thinking of some of the similarities there between Mephibosheth and Bartimaeus. Like Mephibosheth... (laughs) Bartimaeus had a debilitating physical infirmity. And I wonder how much that entered Bartimaeus' mind when he's crying out, Jesus, son of David, right? Did he know this story? Did he know how King David, who pictured Christ, cared for the beggar of his day? I think the answer is yes, he did know, right? And he thought to himself... Right, the, king da- the lesser king, King David, who cared for, for the one with a w- incredible infirmity of his, his day. How much more, how much more will the greater king care for me and my affliction? And so he calls out with a confidence. He calls out with a confidence thinking, hey, this is the true and better king, the son of David. Right? The true and better king. will free me from my affliction today. And so it was with this desperate hope, uncensored, that he calls out for mercy. His desperate hope, uncensored. That is our second point. In humility, he is aware that no one and nothing can fix him but Christ. And he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And his cry, as we see there in the story, his cry annoys the crowd, doesn't it? Verse 48, they warn him. Keep quiet, man, right? Keep quiet. If you ever have spent much time in the city, you know that beggars can get unruly sometimes, right? Like the disciples, this crowd seems to know what's good for Jesus. Remember when the the parents were bringing their children to Jesus and wanting Jesus to to bless them, right? And the disciples said, hey, we've got to put a stop to, to this, Right? Well, now the crowd uh, that is following Jesus to Jerusalem, right, they want to put a stop to Bartimaeus. uh, Right? They're enjoying their journey to go celebrate the Passover with Jesus. And this beggar is about to get in the way of all that and take up their time and mess up their pleasant journey. So they try to shut him up. Right? Shut him up. He's annoying. He's causing problems. Right? He's he's forgetting his place. Right? On the side of the road. He's forgetting his place. Quiet. Know your place. But his desperate hope is uncensored by their pressure to leave Jesus alone. His desperate hope is uncensored by their pressure to for him to stop making a scene you see he knew but that is Bartimaeus knew that Jesus came to serve he knew Jesus' name and he knew Jesus would deliver and protect him and he knew that he could call out to him and when he did call out to him he knew that Jesus as it also says in Psalm 91 as we read that Jesus would answer him in his trouble he knew He was aware of his infirmity. He was desperate in his condition, but hopeful. Hopeful. A desperate hope, uncensored. Why was he hopeful? Why should we be hopeful? Man, our culture grabbed hold of that word, and they've screwed it all up. You can buy signs now, just about every word, especially coming this time of year, says hope. People buy them. People buy them that have no hope. People talking about hope all the time and they have no hope because they have not Jesus. Right? His desperate hope was uncensored. Right? Why? Why? Because his hope had a name. His hope was not wishful thinking. Right? His hope had a name. It was Christ. Right? He was not just hoping in hope. His hope had a name. Jesus, the son of David. The object of his hope was rooted in the very person that walked in front of him. Right? Aware of your infirmity. Aware of your infirmity. And then you find yourself in front of the single answer, the only answer, the only hope. So you're aware. Are you aware if you're not aware? Right? This will have little meaning. Christ will have little meaning to you. If you are fine this morning, I have nothing for you. If you are good this morning, I have nothing to offer you. And neither does God's word. And neither does Jesus Christ himself. But if you are humbled and poor in spirit this morning, and you come seeing your infirmity, seeing your brokenness, Oh, then Christ, he has everything to offer you. He has that life to give you that you cannot get anywhere else. Are you aware of your infirmity Then, like Bartimaeus, found himself in front of the single answer, the only answer, the only hope? And when you find yourself in that situation, right, when you're aware of your infirmity and you're aware, there's only one solution. There's only one hope. Boy, you become uncensored. Nobody can shut you up. Nobody, right? Both in your perseverance to chase after that single hope and and your single-minded pursuit. So you will persevere and you will be single-minded in that pursuit. Nothing else will satisfy you. Nothing else will, will, will tempt you to just be okay with it because you know in your infirmity that is not what you need. You don't need anything else. You need Jesus and Jesus only. And it is hard for us, right, with our physical eyeballs and our physical senses to come to that point. So I have to pray about it regularly because I get caught up in the physical. I get caught up in what I can see and touch and I begin to grab hold of and adopt hopes that don't come through, right? They let me down. Jesus is the only one had that single-minded pursuit like Bartimaeus. You can't stop him. They couldn't stop him because you can't stop one who is desperate for Christ to stop calling out for Christ because they have come to the end of themselves. They look at what this world has to offer. They see it. They see it. They've experienced much of it and they conclude, after seeing it and experiencing much of it, they conclude, you know what? This world has nothing for them. This man knew there was none other that could provide for him what he needed. He knew it. You see, you can't stop someone who is desperate for Christ to stop calling out for Christ. Right? They don't give a rip. If the crowd wants them to shut up, they're not angry at the crowd. So you say it like that. I'm not angry. They're not angry at the crowd. They're just in love with Jesus. And they're not going to let the crowd deter them from running after Him. You can't stop someone who is desperate for Christ to stop calling out for Christ. Their awareness of their true condition has them saying that Christ is their only hope. So why would they? Why would we? If this is true, why would we? We wouldn't, would we? We run, run, run. Because He is our only hope. Of course, Jesus hears this humble, desperate call, verse 49. And what does he do? Isn't it amazing? He stopped and said, call him. And so they called the blind man, Look there in 49, and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling for you. And the crowd went from shut up to get up. Right? Isn't that something... See, you can't lean on the crowd. <laughs> right? The crowd went from shut up to get up and even encouraging him to make his way from Jesus. It becomes clear to them, as it was to him, that there is a Savior who delights to heal. That's our final point this morning. Have courage. Get up. He's calling you. There's a Savior who delights to heal. Have courage. Let go. I don't know what you came in here holding on to this morning. But have courage to let go if it isn't Christ. Right? Let go of what's been defining you, controlling you, and grab hold of the one who delights to heal you. Have courage. Be encouraged. Take heart. Let go of what I know, right, is hard to do. And get up and go to Jesus that means trusting, man. It means trusting what he will do with my infirmity. And that can be hard sometimes. But why, why do I, why do we need encouraged to trust God? Right? Think of that. It's an interesting question, actually. I mean, we know the answers, I think, in some ways. But it's worth just put it, letting our minds grab hold of that a little bit. That why do we need encouraged to trust God? To trust, to trust. That he delights to save us. To trust that he has provided for us. Right? I don't need encouraged to eat a bowl of ice cream. Nobody, right? I, I do that very easily. Right? Jesus is better than ice cream. Right? While Jesus is so obvious the right choice for us, here's, here's what I think we see in this passage. Right, in in these guys calling out, right when they're saying "get up," he's calling you. Right, Jesus is obviously the right choice for these guys. I don't think Bartimaeus is needing to hear from him that Jesus is the right choice. Hey, no, that's not that's not. If we read carefully, that's not what's happening. Right, but I do need told that. So so we do need to understand that, that Jesus is the right choice, okay? But that's not what we're seeing here in the passage. What we're seeing here is he needs told that, hey, he's he's heard you, and he's chosen chosen you, and he's calling you. And I was just thinking about that, right? Like, I need told that he chose me. What? Yeah. There's a Savior that delights to heal you. I need told that he chose me, that he heard my call. I need told that Jesus is walking and he heard my call. I need told that he is now calling out to me. I need told that he delights to heal me, to save me. Don't you need told that? Don't you need encouraged in that? I suspect there's some here this morning that do. That you need to just fix your heart and mind on that. Can you hear him calling you by name? First John three one says, "See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that He would call us, that He would call us His children, and we are." The call to hear courage here wasn't because. Uh, Jesus sometimes lets us down. That's not what is going on. The call to courage here isn't that that God uh, doesn't have the full picture of what we need and The courage we need isn't because there is something insufficient or weak in God. It's not because there are resources that we need from God that He is depleted in or supplies that we need from God that He's running low on. And so we need this wishful courage that we might get there in time before His supply runs dry. That's not the courage. Like Get there. He's limited in what He can provide you. Right? Or, or worse, it's not that I need courage or we need courage to go to him because he is, he is temperamental and, and we don't know how he's going to respond. So take courage. He's calling you. I'm not sure how this is going to turn out. It's not that kind of thing. Now sadly, this sometimes is the courage our children need when coming to us. What mood is mom or dad in? Right? Well, it's never like that with God. Our need for courage isn't because of anything lacking with God in either His supply or His constant desire to share with us from His supply. It's interesting how our infirmities, our struggles, make us so insecure. We've got to look this morning at where we're at and what we've got hanging on us in terms of our struggles, in terms of the things that we're battling, in terms of our sin even. And the burdens that we bear. And I'm thinking even as that comes to my mind, and that that are we saying about this and taking on his yoke. I think of pilgrim's progress and carrying around that backpack is like giving that guy bad posture. Right. We become friends with our infirmities in unhealthy ways. We've got to look at that backpack of infirmity and be willing to trust God with it. You do that this morning. He sees you, he's calling you. I can't help but think there in verse 50, see there, of him throwing off his coat to run to Jesus, to get up and go, and throwing off his coat, I can't help but think of it as symbolic act, of taking that step of putting off the old burden, the old pattern, the old way of getting his need met, the old uh, patterns of Survival. In fact, one place I read that it's likely that he, he might even use this goat to collect the alms that will be giving to him, and so in leaving that behind, it might be saying something to us. You just wonder what's going through Bartimaeus' mind right now. Man, if I can see, is he worried? Well, we can wonder about this. Is he is he worried? Is he concerned to let go to trust? If I can see again, I'll have to work and not beg, and I haven't done that. And it's exciting on the one hand, but it's scary. I've only known begging. And we could keep going down that road a little bit, and it seems silly, though, to try to come up with reasons why you would hold on to blindness, doesn't it? You wouldn't. And this is so clear for us with physical infirmities. But what it points out for us is that clinging to spiritual blindness would be just as foolish. That infirmity of sin that we have grown comfortable and made friends with, why do we fear throwing it off? It's entangled us. Think of yours right now, right? It's far worse, actually. It has entangled us far worse. Why would we not want to be cut free from it? It is causing decay in our own souls, but also ruining our relationships with others. Why not run to the son of David, the Savior that delights to heal you? Right? And he has done the work to provide us with that one thing we need. <laughs> Are you ready to call for mercy from your low position this morning like Bartimaeus? Right? Like Bartimaeus calls, have mercy on me. That right there, we did not unpack it. Think of that. That's not from a place of complaint. It's not my suffering, right? Stop it right? You've kept me, God, in this place long enough. It's not entitled. It's not pride. We don't see that. Have mercy on me. That is not a place of pride, is it? No, it's a broken. In Bartimaeus, what we see is a broken and contrite spirit. Broken, humbled, mercy, right? Mercy saying, God, I don't deserve your attention and certainly not your positive attention I'm just a blind beggar on the side of the road. I don't deserve it. But I'm going to call out. I'm going to call out. And there's this understanding in calling out. That he doesn't doesn't deserve a response. But he recognizes the only response he needs is from Jesus. And spiritually we must come to that place, right? Humbled by our need and crying out for mercy. I think of the complaint the complaints that this blind beggar could have had, right? You might ask yourself the question, what societal uh, safety nets were in place for him? What had his Jewish brothers and sisters, what care had they provided? Was he treated well or kicked to the fringe? It appears he's kicked to the fringe. I suppose if we were to ask him and interview him on this point, maybe we could get him to talk and he could tell us a great deal about how hard he had it about the injustices he faced as a result of the religious people that didn't do their job. But he, what we, he complains of none of this. Instead, he calls out without a sense of entitlement and Jesus answers him there, what do you want me to do for you? And Jesus, right, he is not patron. I mean, that seems like a patron. I feel like I need to say I don't think Jesus isn't patronizing him, Okay. Right? But calling him to confess his faith. That's it. He's calling us this morning to confess our faith. He's not patronizing. And we see, verse 51, that Bartimaeus is ready with a response. "Rabbi, I I want to see. If Jesus called out to you this morning. What do you want for me to do for you? What would you say? Speaking to a Savior that delights to heal you. Do you know you have this access? I pray you do. I pray you do. Jesus responds, go. Your faith has saved you. And immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. Quite a story. And Jesus on the road to be crucified. And he stops. Y'all, you're probably a little like me. Maybe not as bad. But when I'm on the road to anywhere, I don't want to be stopped. Right? And he stops and heals because he delights to do it. Do you realize this morning... That there is a Savior who delights to heal you. Delighting and loving. Not just wanting you for some task. But He loves you. And He wants you. And He hears your call. And what a good example this provides for us. Even as we think of others. Right? Do I delight to serve like Jesus? Do I delight to share like Jesus? Do I delight to sacrifice like Jesus sacrificed for me? It's powerful. He's good. A faithful friend. Right? That he would call us his children. He would adopt us. By giving his own son as a sacrifice for our sins, so that we might be adopted into his household. And in that household, we too get to eat at the king's table, right? And when we take the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of that, that banquet that is to come where we'll get to eat with him in eternity. And fellowship with Him. Not because of anything that we deserve. I bring nothing to that table. I bring nothing (laughs) at all. All Right. He is gracious and merciful. This morning I would ask as we close in prayer. As you reflect on this. I pray that the Spirit of God would, would move in your hearts. And that you would be encouraged this morning. That you would be encouraged this morning to respond to the Savior that calls you if you have not. That you would be encouraged this morning to be reminded, reminded of what we hear in the text of Jesus' love for you. And that would stir in you what we sang about, even and what we talked about last week is that there is this joy, there is this happiness that comes. From following Jesus and being restored by Christ. I pray that you will leave here knowing that restoration. Right? You don't have to leave here without knowing that restoration. So I pray that you will. Please bow with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word this morning. And this time singing about your goodness and your love. Even as we confess that you are all that we need. That you are our only hope in life and in death. We thank you that what we hear in this passage and see in this passage so clearly is as you delight to save us. That you delight to heal us. And certainly we come this morning that the, our greatest need for healing is, is not physical, actually. And you have provided a way for us. If we don't have to, to leave here this morning without being healed because of what you've accomplished for us there at the cross. You've beat the power of sin and its destructive havoc that it can bring onto our lives you you've you've broken that you've beat that so lord we can leave here free from it and so god i just ask that that there wouldn't be any one person here that would leave without being without having that that infirmity dealt with in their life that they would experience the blessing that comes from being healed by you And you bring that healing to us. Your graciousness. The free gift that you provide for us. By your work on the cross. That you took our punishment on yourselves. God, we give you praise and thanks for that. May that just stir our hearts this morning. To to follow and run after you. and, And excitement and joy and glad obedience that you would call us your children. May these things stir in us as we think of them this week. That you love us and delight in us. In Jesus' name, amen.